What's going on, everybody? This is Drew here. I want to welcome you all to a brand new episode of Phoenix Down. This is Phoenix Down, episode number 70. And we're back. Man, it has been a while. Especially been a while for Matt Quinn here. Hello, friends. It certainly has been a while. Yeah, it's been close to about two months. We did Red Lots Red of Red life. Red. Lots of life happening. Yeah, yeah. Uh, lots of life happening for me too. So it's it's one thing after another. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we're back. We're going to be doing our what has turned into a Christmas special. Uh, <laughs> it was originally Halloween, and Halloween has has been derailed the past two years. So we are doing a Nightmare Before Christmas again, and we are playing a horror game for uh, the month of December. And we're going back to The Evil Within 2. So we played The Evil Within three years ago for Halloween? Three or two? Uh, Well, last year we did Dead Space 2. The year before that, did we do Evil Within? I didn't think we played it the year it came out. I'm not sure. Um, that is a uh, that's a good question. I'm not. I'm not entirely sure. Although a year after would have been three years ago. Maybe maybe 2015 is right. Hmm. But uh, I guess I can Google search it. ZTGD Evil Within. See all the tags here. Uh, the evil within. Thanks. This is not working. October sixteenth, twenty fifteen, is when we did the evil within. I'm actually curious now that we're playing the sequel to go back and listen to my thoughts on the first one. Yeah. Because. What I remember is that it was pretty scary and very hard. Um, and lots of bosses. The, the boss fights seem to be the overwhelming thing for us in the first game. Yeah. If I'm remembering correctly. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I think I enjoyed our time with The Evil Within. I think it was yep. a little slow in some spots. Yep. Um. But yeah, uh, uh, so the, I guess that kind of goes into our history. Both of us knew of the Evil Within two. Um, I picked it up on the PlayStation four probably five months ago when it was on sale one time. Yeah, I did the same thing. Um, I remember when it came out. I remember being interested in it because I, if nothing else, loved the atmosphere and and the horror of the first game, so I was always going to be interested in the second game in the series. Uh, and then the fact that it came out with relatively good reviews had me even more intrigued, but I knew I wasn't going to have time to play it, so I, I didn't pick it up at launch and just kind of waited for one of the sales as soon as it dropped to 30 bucks, which didn't take all that long, which is not always a great sign. Yeah. they. Uh, I, I distinctly remember Ken and Justin, uh, who worked for the site, um, we're really enjoying the game. Ken told me specifically, he's like, dude, this is like three times better than the original game. 
Um, and I was like, okay, that's great because I, I do want to play it one day, but just not right now, kind of thing. I'm not, I'm not. Yeah, I didn't have the time for it. I was doing review games, stuff like that, and yeah, it was, it was something that obviously I wanted to play, but you know, not when it first came out. And I figured since we already did the first game for Phoenix Down, we were probably going to do the second game. So, but yeah, that's easy history for us because we're. We're, we we knew it existed. We didn't miss it. We just wanted to get to it eventually, and so here we are getting to it. Um, man, so you're playing on PS4 as well? Yep, playing on PS4. I knew you were playing on PS4 because I saw you online. I just wanted to say it for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so um, there is an so this released um on Xbox One, PS4, and PC. Uh, same team, same everything. So we got uh, um, uh, Shinji Mikami coming back. Uh, people may know him from early days of Capcom, or not early days, but probably the '90s of Capcom uh, during the Resident Evil. He was the creator and director of Resident Evil. So yeah, I think he's a little more hands off with the sequel here. Yeah, I think he's only producing it. I think he's producing it and maybe part like creative director on it. Um, but his, his team is doing it. Um, and it is a direct sequel to the evil within one, uh, it takes place three years after the events of the first game. So this is when I was like, Oh God, what happened in the first game? Cause <laughs> like during the whole opening cutscene, I was like, what happened again? I can't really remember. Um, yep. Uh, the last thing that happened three years ago, um, we played as obviously, uh, Detective Sebastian Castellanos, uh, who was with the Crimson City Police Department. Crimson, Crimson with a K. Yeah, Crimson with a K. So this is made by Mortal Kombat developers. Um, Crimson City Police Department. Uh, he went to investigate a disturbance that was happening at uh, the Beacon Mental Institution. Is it Beacon Hill? Is it Beacon Hill? Um, he just like in this game, he just calls it Beacon, Beacon, Beacon. Uh, it might have been Beacon Hill, it might have been just Beacon. I can't remember, but it was the it was the mental hospital. When he gets there, uh, a lot of weird stuff starts happening. What he doesn't realize is, is that he has been in a computer simulation the entire time. Ever since he walked into the doors of the mental institution, he was put into a, uh, they call them stems, uh, which is a computer simulation that is being ran psychically from a core, uh, a person who has... I guess heightened psychic abilities or mental capabilities. Uh, they use their mind, their consciousness, and it allows them to link in with those people. Yeah, they mentioned at one point in this game, I think that it works best on either like psychopaths and children. Yeah, I guess because of their vivid imaginations. Yeah. And um, the person it was hooked up to was a crazy person who obviously went nuts and the science experiment went wrong and uh, well um, 
there was a lot of betrayal going on. We don't know what happened to certain people. So basically, um, there was three detectives that went to investigate, uh, two of which weren't in on it. Uh, Kidman, uh, which was Sebastian's partner for a little while. Uh, she was actually working for STEM. And, uh, man, I can't really remember. They finally got out. They found themselves in bathtubs. Um, and I think his, his partner escaped too, if I'm not mistaken. Can't remember what that guy's name was. Joseph Oda. Joseph. Joseph Oda. He, uh, yeah, he escaped too, I believe. And then there was that last, very last scene where the bad guy, Ruvik, you kind of think that he maybe has escaped into the real world. Right. So actually, this sequel is not what I was expecting for a sequel. What were you expecting? I was expecting Ruvik out, out in the world doing maybe some Ghost in the Machine type shit. Okay. As a pseudo digital entity who's been, you know, a psychopath who's been integrated into a network, he was going to find his way into the world's networks, and you know, maybe a little bit more urban, you know, murdering people through electronics. I don't know. I, I, I was going off in definitely a ghost in the machine direction. Yeah, I was. I was under the impression that we were probably chasing after this guy because you know, toward the end there, we saw that Rubik potentially escaped and now determined Sebastian is now going to hunt him down and stop him. Uh, but that's not the case. Um, we find Sebastian in a bar drinking himself <laughs> to death. Yeah. Three years later. Yeah. Three years later. Uh, he's having uh, constant nightmares of the incident that happened uh, years and years ago with his uh, daughter um, uh, there was a house fire that happened and his daughter was killed and he's constantly haunted by that memory. Um, so, uh, he's there in the bar drinking and Kidman walks in with a couple of other guys, uh, shady individuals looking like men in black. And she's there to get him to do something. Uh, obviously, he hasn't does wants anything to do with it. He's I'm I'm done with you guys. You guys lied to me. You put me through hell, and now it's all messed me up. Which but, understandable. That first game was terrifying. Yeah, some of those enemies were terrifying. I'm pretty sure I would be scarred as well. So. Um, but she tells him a very important uh, fact, and that is that his daughter is actually not dead. Uh, the fire was a cover-up to get uh, to obtain her, so that it's not Morpheus. It's, what was it called? Mobius. 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 That the Mobius, the company, the the umbrella, if you will. Uh, wants to do an experiment with her, using her as a core for a new stem. And when he finds this out, he goes ballistic. Uh, and, uh, he starts attacking Kidman and, uh, her guys. Uh, but they subdue him and say, 
you're coming with us. No, uh, no discussion. So as we're being wheeled into the new stem, <laughs> they tell us that basically uh, they were using her as a core, and the people that were there uh, ha- they have lost contact with, and they don't know what's going on. Everything kind of went dark. So they need somebody to go in and figure out what's going on. The thing is, is that, well, they kind of need somebody who's either close to the person or knows them. That's why they recruit Sebastian. What a better person than the girl's father. So uh, he agrees to go in to save his daughter and figure out what's going on. Uh, I guess he agrees. They kind of force him to. Yeah, I think he kind of reluctantly agrees because the fact that Lily's alive is is the one driving thing for him. Seems like he'll do essentially whatever they need him to do as long as he has a chance of saving her. Yeah. So we jump back into a bathtub and we hook ourselves up to the stem They never actually show how they hook you up to the stem. No, they just show him kind of crossing his arms over his chest and uh, leaning back into the bathtub. And then you get the kind of dramatic intro credits where he, you know, they switch to a far away view and he's just kind of falling through bubbles and then he's he's in. Yeah. I'm curious as to what the real world way to hook somebody up is. Is it like the Matrix where they shove a needle into your spinal cord? Or is there something connected to his brain? Yeah, some sort of helmet. Kind of like the helmet he has whenever he has to upgrade himself. Yeah, hopefully slightly less traumatic looking. Yeah, I know. But uh, yeah, so the first thing that kind of gets me about this game is some of these dream slash mental visuals are really, really good. Yep. I love, like, one of the coolest things of the first Evil Within was that that scene where he's falling. <laughs> I was going to mention that exact scene. And as he's falling down, the camera pans, and now he just lands up against a wall. Yep. It's those weird, like, camera tricks that this game does. And they have them in here, too. Um, it's a very confident game to where you can be past the nuts and bolts of it and get to some of that uh, kind of interpretation of, of his mental state. Right. And I'm really I'm really enjoying like the, the – they, they do a lot of the whole – and we've seen it in games before, particularly like Silent Hill and stuff like that where you know you walk down a hallway – and it's a dead end. And when you turn back around, the hallway's completely changed. Yeah, yeah. I was going to mention that too. This this game does that so well. It, it, I mean, there there are parts in this game, like the opening scene with the with the where he's reliving his daughter's death. There are parts in the game that are a dream, and then the fact that he's in in a simulation. That's two completely different ways where you can completely ignore the rules of reality. Yeah. You know, whether you're in a dream or in a simulation. So 
I almost wanted to roll my eyes at that and be like, all right, all you've done now is give yourself free reign to be as ridiculous as possible and just write it off as, well, he's in a simulation, so of course it's fine. And to me, that would have been the easy way out, the easy way to, you know, let, let's say, you know, every level could be in a completely, you know, snow level and, uh, you know, a spaceship level and an underwater level, you know, what, whatever you wanted to do and just say, well, it's a simulation. But this game doesn't seem to take that kind of easy excuse for shifting perspectives. It's more like in that first game when he's falling and hits the side of the wall instead of the bottom. It, it feels like they're trying to represent his mental state and the, you know, the degradation of this world that he's, he's now in union. Yeah. This, and this, I, it does such a good job of that. And it, that's the thing is, it's not just his mind that he's going through. It's also somebody else's mind. Yeah. So it's kind of like, uh, it's almost like inception where you're, you're sharing dreams with other people and the, the, the prevalent dream is obviously whatever the core is. Um, and sometimes that stuff can be kind of corrupted in certain ways. So, uh, we get the whole sequence where he's falling, uh, eventually lands. He's in like a dark abyss. And as he continues forward, things start materializing. And eventually he ends up in, it was, I guess it's, it was supposed to be like Beacon Hospital, right? The beginning yeah. part of it? Yeah. When you start getting chased. And this thing I don't know what to call this thing it is a the boss yeah it's a woman with like three different heads with really long hair and she's mostly giant. spine <laughs> yeah she's giant and she has a saw blade for an arm and she's laughing while chasing you yeah, the the enemies in this game, especially the boss enemies or any non-standard enemy, are both terrifying and also extra terrifying because of the way they sound. Oh my god! All right. I mean, um, I I know which one you're going to talk about <laughs> first. Yeah, we'll just go ahead and get it out of the way. So, there is a reoccurring boss character in this game. That you can't kill. If she gets a hold of you, you automatically die. And she can phase through walls. So she's basically a ghost. She's like this weird giant woman who floats, long flowy hair, and she. Like the ring. Yeah, like kind of like the ring girl. And as she's looking for you and stalking you, she's humming Claire de Lune, which is the, the, the song which I'm probably going to play either at the beginning or the end of this episode. It's the song, it's the classical song that plays at the safe room. And the biggest thing about this is on the PlayStation 4, you have a speaker on your controller. 
not often utilized or utilized well. Yeah. And in this one, she her little hum where she's humming in a very creepy way, and also this weird static sound depending on the vicinity of where she is close to you, is playing through this controller speaker. And it is the most bone-chilling crap I have experienced in a long time. Yep. Ah, man. When they first introduced her and it started coming through the controller, I was like, nope, I don't know if I can do this. (laughs) My wife heard it and she came in there. She's like, what are you doing? And I was like, you you probably don't want to see this. She hates scary stuff like this. Yeah. She took one look at the screen and was like, nope, I'm out. And walked away. Plus, it's it, it's just real scary the first time you meet her because it's also not part of the story necessarily. And we'll get into linearity, non-linearity, but you just kind of stumbled upon. I didn't really know what I was doing. I don't know if you saw her because I've, I've I've met her twice now in the game. I have too. Once in a in a house, and once just randomly out in the open. Yeah. Which makes me think she's going to be a reoccurring character that just shows up whenever you really don't need her to. Yep. But I love the fact that I first encountered her in a house that I had really had no business even being in. I was just exploring. Did not expect anything to be in the house. Maybe a zombie-like enemy. That's it. And then to have gone on this like mini little adventure before returning back to not reality, but at least <laughs> his current reality. Right. Like, I don't know, just the, the fact that it was unnecessary made me like it even more. Yeah. Because I, like, I almost felt like I was there because I wanted to be. Yeah. The, the, so let's, let's back up a little bit because we're getting yeah. deeper into it. Um, so this simulation, this particular simulation that uh, Mobius had created was a small town called Union. Uh, it's supposed to be like every man small town USA Mayberry kind of thing. And for the most part, everybody who was in the system enjoyed it, including the, I would just call them NPCs, the programs that, that lived in the town and stuff like that. Everything was fine. Something occurred. And now union is in shambles, not only in there's crazy weird stuff floating around and enemies running around everywhere, but also the city itself is falling apart. It's breaking apart. Like the roads are floating in midair and part of the city is now above us and stuff like that. It's, it's, it's wild. Before all that happened, it had given me a little bit of an Alan Wake vibe. How so? Just, just the small town, you know. I, I get the sense of the kind of middle of nowhere, probably surrounded, probably p- pretty rural. Um, you know, kind of small town with like flickering, flickering neon signs. Not too modern of a town. I don't know, a little bit Twin Peaksy. It's definitely got that Twin Peaks vibe to it. Yeah, or maybe like a. Someplace in like Montana or something. Um, not to say there's anything wrong with Montana. Sorry if there's anybody out there listening to us. Although Far Cry 5 did take place in Montana and it had a lot to say about it. <laughs> um, so yeah. Um, 
but yeah, Union is it's all kinds of messed up, uh, and we don't particularly know what happened to make this occur. Uh, there are numerous Mobius agents who are on site there, still jacked in, if you will, and they lost contact with all those people. Those were the ones who could try to reestablish some type of normalcy in this simulation. And when we get there, finally, uh, we we end up in Sebastian's room, which is his familiar room, which is designed to be from his memories. And most of his memories are from at his police station detective desk. So we're kind of in a police station, or what he remembers of a police station. And this is where we can do most of our upgrading, saving, uh, all kinds of little special businesses. Uh, and here's where we get kind of the rundown. All right. We got five Mobius members, five or is it five or six? I can't remember. I think five, five. There was five members in all that we could get in contact with that could possibly help us out. Uh, there's a couple of weapons specialists and a psychiatrist and a tech specialist, a couple of tech specialists. And Sebastian's like, okay, I need to get in, for, in touch with the leader first. Well, it's not going to be that simple, unfortunately. Uh, when we make it to, or, or even before we make it inside of Union, we start getting glimpses of certain things that something else is in this simulation that is not Right. And uh, the, it, we first get a glimpse of this guy prior to getting into Union, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we start in like what, what seems like a, a banquet hall or something like that. It's weird. And going through like curtains and stuff. And eventually we come across what I think is some of the coolest parts of this visually is one of the Mobius agents. In fact, it may very well be the leader. I think we run. Yeah. Into, I th I, yeah. It's the leader. Yeah. I think you, I think we run into the leader first. Yeah. We but, see, you know, talking about the visual elements, I, I do love that the kind of, the game kind of sets you up with what it's going to do visually really early. So I love when you're walking up to that first doorway and all of the uh, the curtains just kind of pull all the way back. And it feels very, I don't want to say supernatural, but it feels horror movie-ish. Yeah. You know, it's, it's blood red. It's kind of defying physics. Before you're even in and you know that things are fucked, you know, you could tell, you could tell that things are not going to be, you know, you know, it's not going to be a stroll in the park. Going back to Twin Peaks, you know what that room reminds me of? It reminds me of the room where everybody's talking backwards. Yeah. It's just exactly <laughs> what it reminds me of. The the red curtains yep. and everything. Yeah. Yep. And so, I love how, like, the very next scene, like, you walk in, you're like, oh, there's the door. But it's not a door. It's just a picture of a door. You know, and, and very early, it, it's kind of messing with your head and saying, you know, what the Things are going to be shifting around you. Yeah. You can't really trust anything to be straightforward. 
that I think I remember. I think if I'm remembering correctly, you walk to the door, you figure out it's actually a picture of a door, and then you hear a door close behind you. And when you turn around, yep. there's the door. Not not the door you just walked through, no, but an yeah. actual door that you can like leave through. Yeah. So, so I, I love that as like those two things, like a visual, like an impressive visual element, and then a kind of disruptive visual element. And I, you know, I, I get it so far. I've, we've gotten a lot of nods to those two things in this game. Yeah. So going through that door, we then run into the first Mobius agent, and it's the leader of the whole band. The guy that Sebastian's like, okay, I need to find that guy first. Found him. Well, we found him. Uh, he is um, what looks like inside of a box, a glass container. And we see him as if he is being killed. So he is getting shot in the head in slow motion. We see him reel back. His head's kind of like exploding out of one end. Giblets of brains are flying and suspended in air in slow motion while we're moving around in real time. And after we see him suspended in the air in slow motion, it repeats. So think of a a small gif that's played in slow motion of a person getting shot in the head, and it repeats over and over again. If you walk up to it, you can actually cross into the box, and now you are in suspended in slow motion. There is also a camera set up to the side almost like he was somebody who staged this and took a picture as he was killing the person and I think this is going to be the the main superpower of the main villain he freeze, freezing time freeze frame yeah yeah he is going he the, all right, so we get we get it early on that there's somebody else running around this simulation, somebody who shouldn't be here, and, and somebody who can kind of buck the rules. Yeah, he has weird powers. He can slow down time. He can teleport at random. He can summon a bunch of enemies to show up. It seems like he's kind of running the show here, and he takes great pleasure in his art. His art is killing people and then taking a picture of them and then suspending in them in midair and having them die over and over and over again. And one thing I love about like this point in the game is that there's already a bunch of mysteries and they're all very clear. You know, where's his daughter? Can can he find his daughter? Why is this world breaking apart? What you know? What what's happening in STEM? Who's this guy? There's a lot of very clear mysteries, and I don't even know if they're related to each other. They're not sequential, so it's not. It doesn't feel nested. Like let's do A, then do B, then do C. So I, I like the fact that they've set up. You know that he's got his personal mystery. There's the STEM mystery. Now there's an enemy mystery, and. I, I don't know. I, I appreciate when a, when a game is at least 
straightforward to that degree where I know like that what I'm doing has a purpose. I'm trying to answer specific questions. Yeah. Instead of just being kind of like led from A to B to C without any real impetus for doing for you know for going through the motions or progressing. Well, that actually goes into the gameplay as well. And I think that's the next thing we should mention is that this game is not like the first game. The first game, you essentially went from point A to point B. Uh, there were a few kind of like open arenas that you could explore, uh, like the farmhouse kind of thing. There was like a house you could go into and then there's a barn outside. And so there's like these open arenas, but you're still going from point A to point B. In The Evil Within 2... This is kind of a pseudo open world game where you are in the town and you can go wherever you want in the town and you are basically being led by certain things. So the first thing that we should mention is that when we finally get to town after we see all these horrible things, this crazy killer dude in a suit who's going around taking pictures of guys as they're getting killed when we finally get to Union, we run into uh, a couple of survivors, or we see we spot them from a distance. Uh, there's some really bad things going on. So some of the NPCs, I should call them, or some of the uh, the other people in this town, have either been killed or have turned into some kind of weird, corrupted monsters. And the entire town is filled with them. Yep. Which, you know, if you had just told me that this game went from linear to open world, I don't think I would have said that's what I wanted. Because I, I, I don't know, I, I still just have a little bit of a a barrier up against open world games. I'm like, ah, I don't want to be stuck, you know, collecting a billion things out of nowhere for no reason, just to up my number totals. I, you know, I don't, I'll, I'll get lost. I won't know where I'm going. True or not true. That would have been my feeling. If you had just said that was the change for the evil within two. Well, but go ahead. I was just going to say that that's not really, I, I haven't felt that way. Actually. I, I love this kind of, pseudo open world and that's and i think that's what defines it a little bit better we say pseudo because while this is not your traditional open world game there's not a million things you can do that sure there are some optional things that you don't have to do which we'll get into but it's it's pretty much saying okay this is your main objective go here when you want to do it if you don't it's almost more like a playground yeah, it's, it's, well, I mean, yeah, kinda. Um, you're still trying to get to, to point B, but there's a few things you can do in between there if you choose to do so. It's not, the game doesn't revolve around its world, it revolves around its story, and its story is telling you to go here, kind of thing. Yep. So, we run into two operatives or agents who are being chased by a bunch of these zombie monster people. Uh, only one of them escapes and bars himself up in a house 
And this is when we're like, okay, well, we need to go figure out who that guy is and talk to him. So this is where I get the, the first kind of, I guess the first kind of dose of the, the combat and the gameplay here. Cause for, for the first two chapters of this game, which go back pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, chapter three is significantly longer. Because and, and almost again takes as long as you want it to take. Exactly. So I was dumped in, and I was like, "Okay, well, I've got a gun. Let's try and take some of these guys out." Not a ton of bullets, though. No. <laughs> uh, that's not going to happen either, because it takes a, almost an entire clip to take out a guy. And when you alert one guy, they have like three guys come after you. And these guys rush you. And I died the first time. Go, like, just getting to the house. Yep. And I was like, oh boy, this is gonna be, I was like, okay, I need, I, this was a learning process. I, I use this as a learning opportunity to say, I don't need to do that. <laughs> That's not what this game is about. Maybe I'm not supposed to do that. Exactly. So. <laughs> Basically, uh, what this game revolves around is sneaking. You don't want to be caught by these guys because these guys are friggin' dangerous. <laughs> yeah, most of my deaths in this game have come in that first 30 or 40 minutes of Chapter 3. Yeah. Almost all of them where I was like, let's see what's happening in this town. I'm like, nope, that was a bad idea. Yeah. Exploring is not really recommended in this game. <laughs> But the thing that I think is interesting is by the end of Chapter 3, I knew where the enemies were. I kind of knew the layout of the part of the town that we could go through. And I I knew a little bit better how to kill the enemies, although I, I didn't have enough bullets or anything like that to be able to do it consistently. I like the fact that even just within Chapter 3, I went from, holy crap, I don't, I don't know if I can do this game. It's really hard. Die a lot. And then by the end of Chapter 3... I felt fairly confident that I could handle the regular zombies. Yeah. And nothing really changed other than my getting better at the game. And yeah. That's, that's, that I liked. That's, that's good. That is good game development right there. Yeah. That is good game direction. They teach you what to do. Might not be a good idea to do this. You might want to sneak around. In fact, I think I saw a, like a, a pro tip that popped up during the loading screens saying, you don't want to take on enemies head on until you upgraded your weapons. Yep. So there you go. And I like that it's not just trial and error because you could do the same thing. Like, yeah, now I can get through this level and I died 20 times, but it was just because I had to, you know, I got to where I was before and then 10 steps farther. Uh, this wasn't really that. It was more just learning the game, learning, you know, how much can I walk versus how much do I have to crouch for them not to see me and, you know, oh, shit, headshots do a lot more damage. Yeah. Um yeah, I, I don't know. The chapter three to me is the defining chapter of this game so far. Yeah, I think so too. So, making it to the house where that one guy ran in, we decide to go in and and investigate this guy. He's not very trusting of us. Uh, he is one of the tech specialists that showed up, O'Neill, and. 
for all intents and purposes, he's the only other guy that's alive in this entire <laughs> entire simulation. Yeah, even though it, he's alive because he let his partner die. Yeah. So, uh, uh, and that this is when I was like, oh, wow, this is like, because th- see, I was like, oh, I was taken back whenever I saw that it was kind of open world. I was like, oh, this is way different. And then yeah. we went into dialogue options. And I was like, was this an RPG? I was like, what? <laughs> so we, we're talking to this guy, and we have different options of talking, different topics to talk about and stuff like that. And I was like, okay. Uh, so anyway, he's he is uh, he's kind of went. I I wouldn't say nuts. He's he's became basically. I am I am taking care of myself and only myself. And I don't care who you are. Like you're not with. You're not with my company, uh, but they sent you in. Whatever, you know, I can help you, but I'm not leaving this house. I'm not going to risk myself to help you. Yeah. Uh, and he tells us that he gives us a communicator uh, that then allows us to pick up other radio communications. And he tells us to go if you were really going to look for the core. He doesn't say that it's his daughter yet. Uh, I think he wants to keep it close to his vest. But um, it's like, I'm looking for the core they sent me in to, to help. It's like, if you really want to find it, then you need to start listening to the radio signals. And so we that's the next thing we do is we now venture out and try to find these radio signals. What we don't realize is these radio signals are not people talking on the other end. It is residual radio signals that allows us to basically tap into what happened in the past and go from there. Yeah, I got to be honest. I didn't terribly well understand this. How so? How that works and why that would work within the context of STEM. It's a dream. <laughs> So, yeah, this is the only part of the whole setup of the game that I kind of felt was a little bit of a, it felt a little gamey. Like, oh, we need a way for this to happen, for him to uncover the past. So he's getting mysterious radio signals from the past. I I, I don't know. Sure, I guess I can go with it, but it's exactly the kind of thing where it's a simulation so he can do it. It seems like a, a bit of a thin excuse or explanation. Yeah, that's true. Um, but yeah, so we, we pick up multiple signals. Uh, the first one obviously being the one that we need to f- go to continue the story. Um, but there are other ones, optional ones, that lead to side quests in this game. And the first side quest is uh, figuring out what happened to the other agents. And I, I would add well-labeled side quests, which, again, is a, is a big plus for me. Yeah. You know, I mean, when, when you're on your map, it's the orange circles are the side quests, and the green circle is your, your primary goal. So go wherever you want to go. Yeah. And uh, you can pull out your radio at any time, and it gives you like a how how many feet away from you are are you to it, you know, kind of thing. 
So yeah, it is. It, is, it does have a little bit of gaminess to it, but you know, I'm glad it's there because I want to move this crap along. You know. Yep. Yeah. As soon as I'm past the fact that I don't really get it in the world, the way it functions within the game is just fine. I, I like it quite a bit, actually. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, I I did like I do with every other RPG. Let's go side questing. And so the first side quest that we run into is of these um, these other agents who went rogue. In fact, I believe that's the name of the uh, the side quest. is called Rogue Agents. Uh, they kind of went every man for themselves and also decided to kill all the other inhabitants. So that <laughs> yeah, way- because it was yeah easier to kill them before they turn rather than after they turn. Yeah. <laughs> so um, these guys <laughs> are kind of douchebags. Uh, yep. They it, it, were following their trail, basically. Uh, the reason why we're doing any of this is because, A, we figure out what happened, but B, O'Neill says that there was other guys who had you know, a weapons stash somewhere. Yep. And you might be able to arm yourself a little bit better if you find out where they hid it. Which sounds fantastic because I feel so underpowered at this point in the game. Yeah, I have a knife and a pistol that has that holds six shots, and it takes shit six shots to kill a guy. So yeah, um, I was also amazed by the the kind of the brutality of how quickly I die. Uh, yeah, there was a couple I of mean, times I was like, "Wow, that's a one hit kill, really?" Yeah, or, or at best, it's a two or three hit kill, and. I'm so freaked out by these zombies that I'm erratic with my aiming. I fire off like three shots into the air, and then I die. (laughs) I'm like, well, I'm both unprepared because I don't have enough bullets and unprepared because my nerves are fried. Yeah. Because it's one of those things of like I'm sneaking, and they have like a a detection meter, which is like an eye, almost like uh, Elder Scrolls. (laughs) And it opens up, and then... And then the music starts playing. And then you hear this guy screaming while flailing his arms at you. And they're erratic. Yeah. Like they come at you kind of staggering and lurching and, you know, they, they, they won't be moving. And then all of a sudden they're sprinting at you. It's their erraticness is, is scary in its own right. It's, yeah. It's, the, this game is most certainly intense even during sneaking parts. Yep. Oh, man. Uh, I, I did run into a couple of things uh, while side questing. Uh, the first one being, I went into a church. Yep, I did that too. Th- this is the single place where I died the most. Really? Probably three or four times before I it was like, all right, this isn't really that hard. By the time I made it to this church, I had already equipped myself pretty well. Mm. So I had the shotgun, and I also had the uh, crossbow. So, um, well, let me just go ahead and say that uh, the rogue agents will do that side quest because I think you finished that side quest, right? Yep. Okay. Um, the rogue agent thing, we have to go to two points on the map and figure out what happened. Um, and through that, we we figure out that, oh, these guys went kind of nuts. Uh, all, every man for themselves. We're going to kill everybody here. That way they can't kill us whenever they turn. Um, and we're going to keep our weapons here. So I was able to, uh, get the shotgun out of that. Um, 
and we went to another uh, spot, which then took us to part of the marrow. <clears throat> I haven't explained the marrow yet, but the marrow is basically a secret passage of sorts that Mobius has used to allow them to basically go through the entire town of Union uh, and get to the other side really quickly. Yeah, you get a lot of behind-the-scenes, almost like Westworld style, where, you know, there's a lot of maps and discussions about how do we build the town, how do we expand the town. Yeah. You know, that's all in their secret passages and behind-the-scenes type world. But uh, the uh, the Rogue Agent quest makes us go through the marrow, which is the backstage, essentially, and we get to a weapons cache. Um which then has a whole bunch of like ammo and stuff. I should mention, <clears throat> excuse me, I should mention that in this game we collect certain things, uh, weapon parts and uh, different types of scrap that we then use to craft. Uh, crafting in this game is essential. There are workbenches where you can craft ammunition or use weapon upgrades to upgrade your weapons for better firepower, Accuracy, reload speed, all that kind of stuff. Um, but you'll also be crafting all of your ammunition. Um, you will find ammunition around, but it's very scarce. And on top of that, Sebastian can't carry that much ammunition to begin with. So that's how they kind of blend that survival horror into this game, is that you're not always really well equipped uh, sometimes you just got a pistol or sometimes you're, you got a pistol that's out of ammo. Yep. Um, so you can craft at a workbench, which is in most of the safe houses, or you can craft on the fly. So if you need some bullets right now, I see like two enemies in front of me and I'm going to have to take them out because there's no other way around. You can just craft through the radial menu, uh, outside of a workbench, but it consumes more crafting materials to do it outside of a workbench. Twice as much for the for, for bullets, right? It's four versus two gunpowders. Yeah, yeah. So, have you done that before? I I have held off on that. I have wanted to a couple of times, but I just said if I get into the habit of doing this on the fly when I need it, I'm never going to have enough bullets. I have not crafted on the fly yet. I haven't either. Um, I've always been able to like, all right, I need to stop by a workbench or, you know, I need to go yeah. back to my room or grab a cup of coffee. Um, so that's another thing is that when you go to a safe room, which there are multiple spread around, they usually have a save station where you can save your game. They also have a workbench and they usually have a coffee maker. Coffee makers, uh, when you use it, you drink a cup of coffee and it refills your health all the way. But, Just like real life. <laughs> yeah. But once you use a coffee maker, you have to wait a little while for the coffee to brew again. Do you so, know if it's based on an amount of time or whether it's based on a, a number of in-game actions? Uh, I believe it's, I, I think it's based on time. Okay. Because there is a meter there. And I, I bet you if I sat there long enough, you would watch that meter fill back up. So... I'm pretty sure it's based on time. Um, but yeah, so uh, cut to all that, going back to the Rogue Agent stuff, um, we did get the uh, sniper rifle. Or not sniper did rifle. You, did you get the sniper rifle? I did get the sniper rifle. That came later on. 
uh, when uh, we got a secondary little quest uh, where the guys were trying to hold off the enemies at the, on top of the roof. Mm-hmm. And I got the broken gun, and I had to find the part for it. To which the game just basically said, here's where the part is, if you want to go get it. So, thanks game, for that. I said, yes, I do want to go get it. And then I went up there, and I'm like, holy hell, there's too many enemies. I'm not getting it. (laughs) So, I'm hoping now, like, I've got that in the back of my head. I'm hoping that I have a way to get back to that section of Union, because I do want to pick that up if it's still there. I'll be honest with you, I've had the sniper rifle since then, and I've never used it. Mm. Perhaps I should try, because maybe it's a lot more powerful. Um, but I, I just figure I'm not going to be sniping these guys, particularly if one of them sees me, and then they're running at me sporadically, and I'm <laughs> aiming down a freaking scope. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess it could come in handy. And speaking of the... uh the safe houses. I got so excited. I had made my own mini mission. I'm like, all right, I'm doing these loops where I'm going out, trying to kill some enemies, then come back and save. Uh, and I had made my mission to get to the next safe house, and I had run up there. I, you know, I was I was feeling very exposed. I wasn't familiar with this part of the map yet. I didn't know what enemies were around. I finally get to the safe house. I'm so excited, and then I can't get in uh, because this was well before I had gotten the the crossbow. Ooh. So I'm just kind of standing there in the middle of the street, like, ah, I'm basically dead now. Turns out it was fine because, you know, the enemies aren't as super prevalent, but. Yeah. I, I thought I had accomplished something. So, yeah, the crossbow is back. Uh, it's a different one this time. Uh, but it basically serves the same purpose. You can use items found around to make ammo for it. Use lead pipes and stuff like that to make harpoon bolts that you can fire through. Uh, you can also make explosive um, explosive bolts, which if you shoot a guy, uh, they explode after a small, short period of time. If you shoot it at a wall, it makes a trip wire show up, which you can use to have an enemy walk into it. So you can set up traps. There's also the electrical bolts which can shock guys and stun them. And also, if you shoot a body of water while the guys are standing there, it shocks multiple guys. And then there's also a smoke bolt, which I have not used yet. I haven't, but I was looking at the upgrade tree, Mm -hmm. and I love the idea that you can create a cloud of smoke and then run up and start stealth killing a bunch of enemies. I saw that too. So, um, yeah, uh... Stealth killing in this game is kind of a must. Uh, it's really nice to be able to sneak up on a guy. But there's been plenty of times where I'm right up on a guy and he just turns around immediately. <laughs> and that's really annoying. Um, yep. And one other thing that you collect is uh, from fallen enemies, they drop green gel, which was from the first game. You use this green gel to upgrade Sebastian and his abilities, including his health, his stamina, his sneaking abilities, stuff like that. Uh, so far, I have dropped one one. I have upgraded health one time. Everything else has went into sneaking. I've I have, been fairly well distributed. Yeah. 
I, yeah, first thing I did was increase my firepower. A little bit of stealth, a little bit of uh, health upgrade. Yeah, I think I've got a couple, one or two points in everything. I have got to the point now where uh, those bottles that I find useless because he doesn't throw worth a crap. I have five bottles on me at all times, and if one of those enemies grabs me, he pulls out a bottle and smashes it in their face. Yeah, I got that too. I I, I actually prioritized anything that was automatic. Yeah. Thinking that that was most likely to help me because I would probably forget to use something in the in in the moment in the heat of the moment. So there's there's that one which I'm really excited about. I think I've only done it once so far since I purchased that upgrade. And then there's another one where it says if an enemy does just enough damage to kill you, you'll grit your teeth and survive. Yeah. <laughs> so th- those are the kind of ones that I was prioritizing. That's one of them I need to get to. I haven't got that obviously, but I have done I have done so much sneaking stuff that like I'm I'm Batman. <laughs> I am I am silent. Um and uh, eventually you get to points in the upgrade tree where you have to use red gel to unlock certain nodes in the tree. Uh, and red gel's kind of rare to find. I had I found two so far. Yeah, me too. I found two as well. And there's also upgrade trees for your uh, weapons, and you have to get high-grade components for your weapons in order to upgrade those nodes. So, yeah, uh, I think that covers most of the mechanics. Uh, Which I think I've only found one single high-grade bolt. I've had two, I think. Yeah, because I upgraded my... What weapons are you upgrading? Are you kind of keeping them... Uh, again, kind of distributed. I focused mostly on the handgun, thinking that was all was going to be my default. Yeah. I've done only maybe one upgrade to the shotgun. I would have upgraded... I think I did upgrade damage, and then immediately felt bad about it, because it was only a 10% upgrade in firepower. Uh, and then I did a couple to the crossbow, like one that, if you use the electric bolt, it increases the number of enemies that, that the lightning will chain react to right i uh almost fully upgraded the harpoon bolt because i feel like i'm constantly going to be running into a bunch of like pipes that i can make those out of it only takes pipes that's all you need yeah and i'm like okay i can do that i have upgraded my pistol a lot um uh, power and reload speed and capacity yep so my pistol is pretty highly upgraded, um, and I think I did one thing for power in the shotgun. Here's the thing about that shotgun. That shotgun feels so good. Yep. Oh, man. Half because it feels good, and half because they are like ripe tomatoes when you shoot them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you shoot a guy at point-blank range with a shotgun. He flies <laughs> 20 feet behind you. <laughs> it's great. Um, that shotgun, man. But the problem with the shotgun, I currently only have three shells in it at one time. Yeah, I almost never have more than about three or four. Yeah, and since I don't have any extra ammo pouches, which is another thing you can pick up, uh, I have plenty of uh, ammo for... I can carry plenty of ammo for the handgun because I went out and got every single one of those. 
so eventually you get to the point in the story where O'Neill tells you, Hey, there's a whole bunch of like little, uh, fallen, uh, Mobius agents that you can go loot their bodies. Some of which just carry ammo, but there's a couple of guys who have ammo pouches, which allow you to carry more of that type of ammo. So I got two, uh, handgun ammo pouches, which is great. So now I can carry like 30 something bullets at a time. Yeah. Uh, did you get all of those too, Matt? Uh, I got the majority of them. I wouldn't say I got every one of them. Gotcha. And I, and I know I didn't get that, th- those repair parts for the sniper rifle, but I, I did spend a fair amount of time here doing basically because I thought I was always on the verge of death. I would run out and get one or two things, kill a couple enemies and then go back and save. Yeah. So th- this part of the game actually took me a long time due to backtracking as much as anything else. Is I just I wanted to make sure I was making some progress, so I was probably only playing ten or fifteen minutes and then going back and saving, even if I didn't really need to. Right. Well, um, back to uh, some of the story stuff. Uh, well, before that, I don't know what happened here with the church. So we walk in, and there's a guy who's alive. It's a priest who's praying. And he's praying while on in the, in the front right there, there is one of the dead enemies, and the cr- a cross is sticking out of him, almost like he was impaled by it. Yeah, it kind of looks like maybe he sacrificed one of the, yeah the bad guy, one of the zombies. And he's like, he keeps saying, "Please forgive me." And as Sebastian's walking up to him, he freaks out. Uh, starts convulsing and he kind of leans back with his head tilted forward and his soul leaves his body (laughs) or a ghost comes out of his mouth and then he turns into a zombie and then other zombies crash through the windows so we kind of get ambushed there and I don't know. I don't know what happened there. There was yeah, no I, context whatsoever. Yeah, it kind of feels like there was a missing cutscene or two. Well, maybe we will see it later on in the game and figure out what exactly is going on. Mm. But that was a weird one. I was like, "What happened here?" And I was like, "Okay, whatever. These guys are dead. I'm leaving." Uh, I was just excited because I had picked up an axe outside. Yeah. Right before this? Yeah. So that priest didn't last long. <laughs> That's one other thing I should mention is that we do have a melee attack, which is our combat knife, which is useless. Yep. I was going to say I've slashed people seven, eight times and they didn't die. Yeah. But with a fire axe, that's an instant kill. You chop a guy in half with that thing. And let me tell you something. I was able to pull it off once. I had two guys coming at me at the same time. Killed them both with one swing. Really? Yes. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah. He does a nice little cleave action right there. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, talking about some, some of that side stuff. Um, there is another side activity that we can do, which then leads us to that wonderful humming ghost woman. 
going into this house, it's just a random house that you can go to. And when you go inside, you see what looks like people have possibly committed suicide in. And then you start getting visions. You can't leave the house. All the doors are locked. And then sometimes you turn around and you're in a, you're in a completely different building. Then sometimes you find yourself back in Beacon Hospital. And there are some things about Sebastian's past that pops up here. Uh, particularly, um, his feelings about the fire that happened that supposedly killed his daughter, how his wife left him because of it and how he's kind of struggling after the entire beacon hospital situation. He went through a psych evaluation and the people kind of deemed him crazy. Um, so yeah, there's probably more to that. Yeah. And then we run into the ghost lady. This is the part where was it a note that you read and somebody was complaining like, oh, I don't know, it feels cold in here. And then, you know, then the house turns kind of icy yeah. when you get back out into the living room. Yeah. And that's when the ghost shows up. Yeah. When you see her at the end of the hall, I almost shat myself. <laughs> so you you have a vision of Beacon Hospital, and that's where she's kind of stalking you. Uh, and I was like, oh, God, what do I do here? And I've got to open a door, but i got to find a key first. So I'm like, okay, well, i got to avoid her. Uh, I did get caught by her. Have you got caught by her yet? No. Oh, man. So I was she, close. I thought I was going to be caught once, and I just kind of ran past her. Did she see you? Yeah. Okay. And then I just I kept doing a, I kept doing a loop. Like she saw me, and like she, she started to scream a little bit. But then I just ran, went through the door, and and she lost me. She screams and whispers, Sebastian, and it's so fucking creepy. But yeah, <laughs> it, it's it's really creepy. Um. But yeah, so she she does her little number. We have to sneak past her and open up uh, a drawer to find a key and then go sneak past her again, go down this hallway, and then open the door. And that's basically it. Like, I love how short this section is. Yeah, it's not very long. Um, and then we're back in the, well, not real world, but the world that we know. And Sebastian, like, he, let me let me ask you this: What do you how do you feel about Sebastian's performance? Uh, still pretty wooden. Yeah. The only, the only part there was one scene where I thought they handled it okay. <laughs> the rest of the rest of it, I mean, he's he's pretty monotone. He, it doesn't sound real. I mean, I'm okay with that for the most part, but. The only scene that I really liked was right after he, he gets the cut on the side of his face and, you know, he's, he starts to talk like, oh, that bastard's got Lily. She's she's not going to know what to do in here. I need to save her. It's just a, it was a short scene and he's like he's like feeling his blood on the side of his face and he's talking about Lily. I was like, all right, I, I, I guess maybe he has – I guess maybe he could be passed as a human. 
Uh, but for the most part, clearly not. I think that's Inception. He's, you know, he's a simulation of a person inside a simulation. Yeah. I feel like his performance is just so stiff. Yeah. I don't know. Extremely like stiff. Every time something weird happens, he's just like, what the hell is this? What the hell is this? Yeah. And I'm just like, dude, you know, you were in the first <laughs> game. You know, weird stuff's going to happen. It just, it comes off just slightly off to me. Yeah, me too. If it was, if it was a little bit more off, I would say, oh, right, it's nice and campy. But it's, it's just not far enough off to make me feel like they did it intentionally. Yeah. No, I don't think they did that intentionally. I don't know if, I don't know who the voice actor is for this guy, but I'm sure he's a fine voice actor. I don't know if it was just, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, after that whole ordeal, uh, we continue onward. Let's talk about some of the main story stuff now that we've got the side stuff out of the way. Uh, the radio what? Sig- what? What's that? Hmm? What'd you say? No, nothing. Oh, I thought you were, gonna, I thought you were saying something. Wow, weird. Um, so yeah, uh, the radio signal that we are looking for is actually a residual memory of Lily, his daughter. And uh, she is being chased by someone. Uh, we we can probably gather who it is is chasing her. Um, but um, she is basically running from him and hiding in certain spots. And we're basically following where she went. Starts off in like a uh, gas station. Hides from him there. Um... But eventually it, it runs back to where she was, went back to the, uh, what is the name of that warehouse? I don't know, it's like Parker and Son or something like that. Um, and that's where we get kind of our first real encounter with the, the man who's behind the curtain. Haha, chapter four. How do you like that? That's, that's what the name of the chapter was. <laughs> but um this guy is really weird. So he likes taking photographs. And he's done this a couple of times. He'll snap a photograph of Sebastian and then later on you will find that photograph. <laughs> yeah, it also it reminds me also of I guess nightmares in general. Where you're hoping that the thing never sees you. In this game, really early, this guy, Stefano, sees you. And he's clearly aware of you. He's leaving you messages. He's taking your picture. So that gave it a different vibe to me also because I kind of expected he wouldn't be aware of me until I became a thorn in his side. But he kind of knows you're there from the beginning and is toying with you he's kind of playing with you a bit yeah there's been there's a couple of times where like he'll open a door and he's on the other side of the door and he snaps a photo of you and it freaks you out because it's like this bright light flash yeah then he just disappears um and during all of this we're still running into more of the mobius agents that are being suspended in different ways uh one guy gets slashed with a knife from him and is then frozen in time as he's being slashed. 
Uh, that's when we had to hide from him that one time. Um, and man, I'm blanking. Well, eventually we follow her to, I think they call it, is it the Treadwell Trucking Warehouse? That's is it. that the final one? That's it, Treadwell Trucking. That's the one I was thinking of. And we kind of run into him there. Uh, he's obviously captured Lily at this point. And uh, he's there kind of leading us on. And we make it outside. And he summons these weird demon dog things. Yeah, giant three-headed dog spiders. Yeah. Kind of like lickers. Yeah. Um, and these are our new enemy type. Uh, serves as a boss fight, and then now, now it's just a regular enemy you're going to run into. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this, this was the point where... After this fight, I had a ton of dread. I was like, you got to be kidding me. I finally feel in command. Like, I finally know I can walk around this town in command of my own facilities. And if somebody approaches me, I'll kill them. No problem. And then all of a sudden, like, the world gets darker. And these things come out, and they're all over the place. And there's way more enemies. And I'm like, all right, well, I'm back to square one of being a small fish in this place. Yeah. So there's another part I need to mention. Um, when you're down in the um, the marrow for the first time doing the whole rogue agent thing, I run into an enemy, uh, and I do what I normally do, which is try to sneak up on him and, and kill him with one hit. Well, I stabbed this this woman in the head, and it didn't kill her. Yep. She got back up and started chasing me with a freaking butcher knife, and this woman is little man. Just her screams, the screams in this game. Yep. Did you fight her? I was going to mention her in one of the side missions in Chapter 3. You go into a mechanics shop, and there's two cars on lifts. Yes. And you follow it in, and you have to turn the power on to the lift. And then when you go back out, they talk about there being a weapons cache under the uh, the lift. Un, un, yeah, under the lift. And as soon as you activate the power and go back out into the room, she walks out into into that room. Yeah. That was the first time I fought her, and I did the same thing. I finally snuck up behind her. I'm like, all right, got her. You know, she was, she was a little more aware than the other zombies, but I got her. And then I didn't realize she wasn't going to die after that one head stab. Yeah. They show back up as regular enemies now. These things, let me tell you about these things. This, this, this woman, it's like a tall, slender woman. They all look kind of the same. They have long black hair, almost like the, the ring girl. And she carries around a butcher knife. Head while, down. She's usually not walking very fast. Head yeah. down, butcher knife out. Yeah. And she makes these sounds like... <laughs> it is so freaking creepy. And if she yep. sees you, she freaking screams and chases after you. I'm talking like hardcore running. And has that freaking butcher knife like cocked back ready to stab you. Okay. I figured these characters out. I ran into one while I was running around the world. I'm going to sneak up behind her and stab her. 
and she's kind of dazed for a second. Right? Mm-hmm. Sneak, up, sneak up behind her, stab her in the head, then I run back to the bushes. I run back to the bushes and hide, and she's looking around, you know, doing her little, little, where are you? And she runs off. Runs off way somewhere out, of the, out in the distance where I can't see her. She was guarding something. She was guarding an agent that I was trying to get something off of. As I'm walking to the agent and picking up the item, I see in the distance her, like a fucking cheetah, running (laughs) at me at 100 miles an hour and screaming her freaking lungs out while I'm in a slow animation of looking at this dead body. And I was like, this is not good at all. Yeah. (laughs) And it scared the living bejesus out of me because I'd never seen her run like that. I was thinking, is this like... Because honestly, it felt unnatural, even for this game. I was like, "Is was that like a glitch? Like she wasn't supposed to run off, and now the computer's like making her double back really fast to to go back to her regular animation or something?" Because that was compl- <laughs> I'm, I'm dead serious, dude. It was like a fucking. It looked like the freaking Barry Allen was running toward me or something, like the Flash. And I was like, "What? Oh God!" And uh, there was nothing I could do, so. <laughs> I died. <laughs> it was, it, yeah, man, that was that was really scary. Yeah, the one other character with, you know, going back to like the audio and the sounds and the screams and the the breathing, everything they do in this game is scary. Um, there's that one. It's kind of got a green glow. It's tall. It's got lots of extra limbs as well. Oh yeah, I I, I have I have avoided those like the plague. I have a feeling those things explode on you. Yeah, they definitely like spit vomit at you. Okay. Uh, um, but there's there's a couple of them. There's the one guarding the safe house that I finally did have to kill, which was awful because as soon as I alerted him to my presence, he woke up three or four other zombies. So I had to fight him and a bunch of zombies. Wonderful. But the one that was even more scary, I think, was down in the marrow where you have to hide from it. Yeah. And, and like. Basically, it's like an L-shaped corridor. I had to get to the corner of the L, hide behind a box, wait for him to go past me, then go in and get the key card to open up. Uh, I don't know. It kind of felt like we were underground, like a sewers or something. I had to open up a door to get to get out the other side. But he walks very slow, and he kind of goes past you. And all I'm doing is sitting there, staring at this box, listening to this kind of like agonized grunting and screaming which you know they do a good job of it getting louder and louder as he's getting closer to you and then quieter as he's getting farther away but just staring at that box hoping he wasn't going to see me while listening to that sound I'm like yeah this is there's not much more you need to do to make somebody unsettled (laughs) I can't see what this thing is I know it's terrifying and it sounds hideous (laughs) and I'm just sitting there staring at a box like pissing myself in in game. <laughs> yeah, they do a good job here. So um, after we make it back to O'Neill, he tells us that we have to travel through the Marrow to get to City Hall because there is a emitter there. What do they call that thing? A signal yeah, like emitter? a sta- stabilization signal emitter or something. Yeah. And he said that using it could possibly 
um, restabilize some of the, the town as well as possibly take some power away from this Stefan, Stefano guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, all right, we're going to have to do that. That's when we learn about the marrow, even though I've been down it before. Um, uh, there's a couple of things. Uh, he oh, yeah, us, this is the section. Yeah. Chapter four. He gives us a gas mask because there's noxious gas down there that can kill us. So um, we uh, we then have to travel to the marrow, uh, which we do through computers. Uh, that That's one thing I forgot to mention. What is up with the loading in this game? Yeah. So you go to a computer to travel through the marrow. You type <laughs> in the computer, and it drops you into the abyss again, where there's nothing but black, and things pop up like trees and stuff like that. And then it says loading at the top of the screen. Then it finishes <laughs> loading, and you have to run up to another computer and type into it again. Yeah, it only loaded half of the next area, apparently. Yeah, I... I, I that was I was like, what is going on? I thought it was part of the game. And I was like, no, this is actually just the game saying, hang on a second, we have to load this level. Yeah, between that and the actual loading screens every time I've died being a little bit longer than I would have liked. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe it's just that I'm dying more often than I should be. No, the loading's a little long in this game. Just a little bit. Yeah. Just enough to be annoying. Yeah, it's not horrendous, but when I see that screen enough, it, yeah, it is a little bit painful. Yeah. So we go to the marrow and we have to, um, we're looking for B2, I believe is what it is. That's yeah. Our, that's our exit. Um, traveling through it wasn't that bad. Then we get to the part where the gas is. And wow. So this game, I had noticed that, uh, at the beginning of the game when I first started it, um, there was a option to play this game in first person mode. <laughs> and I yeah. was like, yeah, I don't think I want to do that. And then I didn't realize was that when you go to the noxious gas part, you put on your gas mask and you have to do it in first person mode. Great. And you can't use your weapons here. Because yeah, the gas will explode. Yeah, the gas will explode. So, great. Um, luckily, there wasn't too many enemies. There was like two guys. You can still stealth kill them. Um, but, uh, man. Yeah, I mean, there's what? Maybe two two regular enemies and then this acid-spitting yeah. pseudo-boss enemy. Yeah. Um, and I went by the first one, killed the second one with a, with a fire axe. And then that guy you're talking about with the spitting, uh, he saw me and then began to chase me and I just booked it. (laughs) Uh, Valid strategy in this game. Actually, uh, there's a number of times in union proper where I've been seen by a couple of guys and just said, I definitely don't have the ammo to do this. I'm just going to run. Luckily, they, they lose you fairly quickly. They do lose you pretty easily, and I'm okay with that. Yeah. 
But yeah, uh, traveling through the marrow, uh, we make it to City Hall. Uh, and that so begins chapter five. Uh, when we make it to City Hall, it seems like stuff is happening. Like this really weird thing in the sky that looks like an eyeball shows up. And it's like looking down on you. What we don't realize at the moment is that that basically is telling us where Stefano is. The big bad guy who likes to kill people and take pictures of them. So, uh, as we're approaching City Hall, uh, we go through the gates and we are then locked in. And we're locked in with none other than our good friend from the very beginning of the game, the crazy three-headed lady with the long hair and the saw arm. And she's just giggling and laughing and trying to murder us. Yeah, I definitely spent about five seconds like, all right, well, I'll just run past her again like I did last time. Before I realized, actually, no, this is this one's a fight. Uh, this one is a fight. But what you did not realize, Matt, is that this is also a fight that you don't have to fight. You don't have to. No, you do not. I discovered that. So as I was running around this place, originally I thought that I had, uh, that the, the puddle that was there was um, gasoline. So I shot it with a pistol and nothing happened. And she kept coming. It's water, actually. I should have shot that with electric bolt. Mm-hmm. Um, I then ran around the building. Uh, ran around City Hall. And she was still chasing me. Um, as she was, uh, coming to attack me, uh, I had made it to basically a dead end where there was like a bus. She came to attack me and as she was swinging her little saw and hit me, she also hit some explosive barrels. (laughs) Those barrels then exploded and it left an opening for me. I then ran around the building completely and found a door. I kicked open that door, and she was no longer my problem. Wow. And I got a trophy that said that some fights don't need to be fought, or something like that. That's awesome. And I was like, I didn't even know that was a thing. I was just trying to get away from this thing. (laughs) (laughs) So, I don't know. Did you get a trophy for killing her? Yeah, I think so. Okay, did you kill her, it, or did she right run away? No, you you kill her, and you know the trophy is something like sometimes you have to fight the fight or something like that. Yeah. Um, and and I just I thought it was obvious once I was running away from her within this area and it, it a setup that I was okay with because there's a lot of kind of environmental triggers. There's um, there's the tripwire traps. There's, like you mentioned, there's the water that you can electrocute. There's uh, a couple other things you can do to to slow her down. So you know, there's a, there's enough kind of built into the environment that it's not just purely pumping her full of ammo to, to take her down. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I was I was um, pleasantly surprised that I didn't actually have to fight that. So, uh, making it into City Hall, um, man, what a bag of tricks this place is. Yep, this gets back to the nightmare. Yeah. Can't trust anything. Yeah, no, 
We're, we're, we're constantly getting hallways that aren't really there. We're getting dead ends that then turn into not dead ends. And there's even a puzzle, no less. Uh, it's not much of a puzzle. But uh, we run into uh, what looks like a uh, mm-hmm. photography... Uh, God, like a photo shoot kind of thing? Yeah. Uh, and um, if you look on the wall, there is a picture of a woman with her, her faces scribbled out. And she's standing there with a nice necklace on and a rose on a table beside her. So, um, we have to recreate that, obviously. Um, put, and just so happens there's a rose and a necklace right there, so <laughs> not much of a puzzle. Uh, and then we get in this like old-fashioned camera where we had to put our head under a curtain kind of thing. And we have to focus the zoom. And as I'm focusing it, this shadow walks by. Yep. <laughs> it scared the bejesus out of me. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay. Uh, and then there, obviously there's nobody there. But when we take that picture and we come out, oh, look, there's a path that showed up behind us. Yeah, what her. looked like just the, the photograph is now reality. It's now real. Uh... And we uh, we continue onward. We run into another Mobius agent who is alive, uh, but not for very long. <laughs> uh, he is beaten to a pulp, uh, and he's kind of like laying there. He gives us a, a communicator, his communicator, and tells us that uh, that we can use this to activate the emitter, and it's on the second floor. Um. So we go up to the second floor, and we have our my first boss fight. I guess your second boss fight. Uh, the emitter is there, and when we start to activate it, Stefan shows up. Stefano, excuse me. And he freezes us in place. And... Um, he comes up to Sebastian and takes his knife and cuts his face and uh, is kind of antagonizing him, saying that he is, uh, you know, he's going to devote all of his time to him and he's going to make him the best art project ever. And uh, before he leaves, he brings out his little buddy, which is a humanoid spider thing with a camera for a head. Obscura, they call it? He calls it Obscura. Kind of like the camera Obscura from Fatal Frame. Uh, And this is our next boss fight. And even this is a little bit of a weird boss fight because you don't really like fight it, really. You're almost just trying to stay alive for the 90 seconds or so. Yeah. So that the emitter takes to warm up. Yeah, the emitter has to warm up, and it takes 90 seconds. And the trick is is that this obscura will take a picture of the emitter and freeze it, and the timer stops. In order for us to get the timer to start going again, we have to attack obscura. Um. 
this is where kind of everything shined for me. I started using my arsenal a lot, set up a bunch of trip wires, uh, pulled out the shotgun, gave it a couple shots there. Didn't think I was actually going to kill this thing, but um, I was like, I'm just trying to let the time run out. To which, you know, I, I didn't actually have any problems here. This thing didn't actually do that much damage to me. Yeah, yeah. There wasn't much. There wasn't much of a, a fear of dying here. It was just a fear of it taking longer because because they would have frozen frozen the time more often. So it was weirdly like low stakes. Like I, I it wasn't like there was ninety seconds before a bomb goes off and you need to hurry up and kill them. It was just. Yeah, if you don't uh, if you don't knock out the camera lens and it takes a little longer, then it does, and that was like the worst thing that would happen. Yeah. So not too bad here. Uh, but yeah, uh, after the emitter warms up, it activates, and things go back to quote unquote normal. Obscura, I don't know whatever happened to it. it just disappeared. Yeah, I don't remember if it ran away or. It didn't dissolve or anything. Yeah. But um, certain things in the environment's kind of been restored slightly. Still, there's a bunch of dead bodies laying around and a bunch of enemies. But um, we uh, want to go talk to Kidman. She's been talking to us this whole time through our com- communicator. Uh, but uh, we can't get a signal inside, so we have to go outside. To which I got lost inside the city hall that I just went through. Me too. There's a lot of rooms here with like display cases in them. Yeah. And just ran into all those. But I eventually made it outside and we get our little cutscene where we talk to Kidman. I'm like, alright, well we activated the emitter. She says even on their end they can see that it's starting to work a little bit. And we tell them, look, there's this weird dude running around with a knife and he's freezing stuff. His name goes by Stefano. Look into it because we don't know what this guy's doing, and he's the one that's got Lily. And she's like, "Okay, we'll look into it." I'm like, any idea where he went? And we look up in the sky, and that big floating eye thing is now looking at another part of Union, which is floating again. And he says, "Well, I have an idea of where he may be." So we're going to have to go back to O'Neill, and hopefully he can tell us where we could possibly go. And that is the beginning of chapter six, and that is where I stopped. Yep. Okay. So pretty long one here. Uh you wanna rattle off your stats? Uh yeah, let me take a look at this. I do really appreciate a thorough stat screen, so this game has that in spades. Yes. I'm enjoying the stat screen significantly. Yeah, so I'm playing on survival difficulty. Yep. Uh, normal difficulty. I'm just about eight hours in at seven hours, 55 minutes. Uh, again, I feel like half of that was probably just Chapter 3. Yeah, more than half for me, probably. Uh, I've got 19 deaths. Probably 16 of them came in the first half hour of Chapter 3. Yep. Uh, 12 medical syringes, one med kit, six coffee breaks. 
Uh, I've collected 21 files, Ooh. three photographic slides, mm-hmm. uh, six residual memory events, which I assume you have more there because I know I didn't finish some of those side missions. Yeah. Uh, five locker keys. So wow. I had, I had forgotten about the locker keys. I passed two or three of these little statues. I'm like, they look a little funny, a little out of place, but no, uh, no indicator came up to say that I could interact with it, so I just ignored it. And then later on, I went, I, I happened to accidentally hit one with a, my knife, I think, and I was like, oh, right. <laughs> Break it open, there's a key inside. Mm. Yeah, see, I didn't see any of these, or at least I don't think I did. Uh, but then when you finish the boss fight with Obscura, the one's just sitting there. Yeah, the obvious one. And I was like, I didn't know about this. And so I just hit it, and I was like, oh, it's a locker key. I was like, have I missed any? I don't even know if I missed any. So I only have one locker key. Yeah, and those are huge in this game, because so often you pick up ammo, and it's like two bullets. Or you pick up gunpowder, it's one gunpowder. The things you get out of the lockers are, are treasure troves. We're talking like 60 gunpowder. Yeah. Or or 2,000 green gel. I mean, it's so much more than anything you normally pick up in the world. Uh, I've got 13 skills acquired. 19 weapon upgrades. Four pouches. I've defeated 60 enemies with 26 headshots. Uh, performed 13 sneak kills. 18 melee attacks. Crafted 101 ammos. 12 warden crossbow bolts, 5 health items. And then the rest of it, I don't know, I don't know that matters. 39 minutes crouched, 9 minutes sprinting. <laughs> uh, critical condition for 2 minutes and 13 seconds. I've used 6 bottles, 5 axes. Um, 12 minutes, 19 seconds with the communicator equipped. 9 minutes, 24 seconds with uh, my sights out, aiming. 28 times I was out of stamina. My guy needs a little bit of a little bit of time on the treadmill and zero tripwires tripped. All right. I guess I'll rattle mine off real quick. I'm playing on survival difficulty. Playtime is 6 hours and 26 minutes. 10 deaths, 13 medical syringes used, zero medical kits used, 5 coffee breaks. 20 out of 40 files collected, 3 out of 11 slides, uh, residual memory events recorded 8 out of 12, or 8 out of 24, 1 locker key, 11 skills acquired, weapon grade purchased, 14, 3 pouches acquired, 53 enemies killed, 11 headshots, 13 sneak kills, 24 melee attacks, uh, 78 ammunition crafted, 26 crossbows, bolts, 5 health items crafted, 36 minutes crouching, 16 minutes sprinting, <laughs> four oh, minutes, a lot. Yeah, 4 minutes in cover, and 4 minutes in critical condition, 7 bottles used, 8 axes used, time spent communicator equipped, 7 minutes, uh, time spent aiming, 8 minutes, times out of stamina, 25, and 7 trip wires. So there you go. I think the the two most interesting differences to me are you spending four minutes in cover to my one, and then seven tripwires 
to my zero. Yeah, those trip wires are nice. Let's see here. We do have an email. This email comes in from Antonio. And it says, started playing on Saturday and stopped Chapter 6 on Tuesday. I'm enjoying the game just like the first. However, the controls definitely leave something to be desired. I also don't think the chapters are paced well first two barely even registered and the fifth chapter is a walking simulator stuffed in between two boss fights <laughs> the scariest part for me is when you have to go into the gas filled chamber and the game puts you into first person mode I just hope there's no more of that I'm definitely ready to dive back in and collect some more of that green goo yeah it feels very claustrophobic in first person that's for sure yeah and thank you for that email Antonio uh, I know you're playing with us. I don't know if anybody else is playing along with us or not, but that's okay. If you're not, you can still listen to us talk about how how creepy this game is. This game's kind of creepy. Yep, and I'm certainly digging it. I mean, I I wasn't really sure what to expect. I mean, I liked the first game, and having heard good reviews of this, of this game, I expected it would be a decent experience, but I'm actually enjoying it more than I expected. I've been more scared. I've been... I felt more weak and then I felt powerful. Like, I don't know. I just, I felt a lot of things while playing this game. I, yeah. I thought, I feel like the sense of progression in this game is really well done, especially when you upgrade your character and stuff like that. Cause sneaking now, I mean, yeah, I've got the, like the third tier sneaking where I, I, I'm, I'm Batman, dude. Like seriously, <laughs> they, those guys are like, they don't hear me coming or anything. Um, so there's definitely a sense of progression there. Um, it's, and there's a sense that I'm always on the verge of failing, but not failing. Yeah. There, there's plenty of times, like even in late chapter, like late chapter three, chapter four, stuff like that, where I was running really low on ammo and I was like, I really hope that there's a safe spot around here somewhere where I can craft some stuff. You know, maybe, maybe there will come a time where I have to craft on the fly. And yeah. I'm glad that they give you that option kind of thing. But yeah, that's it for us. Um, we're going to get out of here. I appreciate everybody listening. Uh, if you would like to send us an email, it's drew at ztgd.com. Uh, you can also tweet to us. I am at DML Fury. Matt is at REMGS. And the podcast itself is at ZTGD Phoenix Down. Uh, but we're going to continue our playthrough of The Evil Within 2. Uh, get another episode out next week. I'm guessing I, I have planned for three episodes. Um, depending on how many of these open world segments we get, it may be four. Cause yeah, because I wouldn't have even gotten this far if I had tried to be thorough with the open world chapter. Yeah, and see, I I can't help myself when it comes to stuff like this. I have to go check and see what's going on over there, kind of thing. So we'll uh, we'll see. We'll play it by ear and see how it goes. And uh, we'll, but we'll definitely get it done. Hopefully before Christmas. If not, we can do a New Year's episode finishing it off. But uh, that's it for us. Until next time, I'm Drew, and I'm Matt, and we're out of here. You guys have a great week. We'll be back next week with the continuation of The Evil Within 2.